0: Welcome to the Live Recess podcast, where we journey together toward unlocking a more compassionate experience with ourselves, others, and the universe.
1: Through meaningful interactions, we aim to detach from our thoughts and feelings in order to spark
0: light. Whether you're seeking a moment of peace, a new perspective, or a deeper understanding of yourself and the world around you, this is your sign to take a recess. Hello, how are we doing? So good. Long time no see, right? I
1: know it's been about twenty-four
0: <laughs> hours since we
1: spent a whole day together. So
0: I know it's like the good old days working together.
1: I know we spent yesterday at the Louisville Valentine's Day vendor event, which ended up being way better than I could have expected. It was my first, obviously, our first time kind of talking about this event specifically, and only my actual second vendor event I've ever worked in my life. So. It was better yeah. than my first experience. So that's great.
0: <laughs> hey. 100% improvement. So I love
1: that. 100%. Yes. <laughs> yes. We yeah, got to we got to meet people. We got to hang out. I feel like when even when you first got there, you were like, "Oh, these things are so can be so awkward. Like I don't know what to expect." It's just kind of like taking time out of your weekend to do work-related stuff like it's not the most exciting. But I had some time afterwards to really reflect on like what the experience was like. And I feel like there is so many good things that do come out of these community events, whether it's, you know, like me and my mom spent the whole day Saturday prepping. She helped me cricket the mirror and I went and got all these flowers from Trader Joe's early in the morning, which I never go to Trader Joe's that early. So it was so fun to just like be out and about and spend time with my mom. And then I arranged the flowers and Fletcher like loved the flowers by the way Fletcher's my dog we haven't talked about him yet but he's this cute little gold retriever that just like wanted to eat all of the flowers and just like kept sniffing them the whole time I'd be like okay buddy that's enough of that
0: but like you know
1: experiences that you wouldn't have if you weren't going out of your way to participate in these sort of events you know
0: yeah and it was cool to me the not just the guests I mean that was awesome to meet the guests We had a fun little activity for them, which was fun. We gave away some cool prizes from the other vendors, but Mm -hmm. the other vendors were cool too. And it just made me even more excited for the community that we're going to be building over the course of the next year and getting together with anybody who chooses to join us for the retreat. Because Mm -hmm. I know I've touched on this and I feel like I talk about it a lot, but there is just this component of this new digital post COVID world where there's no face to face. And I am the first person in the world to be like, I don't want to leave my house. But then over the course of time, I don't leave my house and I definitely suffer for it. So it is nice once I'm out there and you're right. Like I show up and I'm like, oh, why did I commit? Was this like mm-hmm. overcommitting, committing Abby? And now like normal, realistic Abby is showing up and she doesn't want to be here. But once we got in the swing of it, it was so cool. And I it was so have easy. so many new contacts and it's great. We found you a hairstylist for your- oh little event this
1: friday yep it's gonna be great and so it was also really cool and refreshing to see how people reacted to us talking about wellness related things it's always kind of i don't know a little questionable especially in our community to bring up these sort of topics i think some people are really uncomfortable with health related things or they're just it's so outside their well realm that being able to just sit down and talk to people and have organic conversations like there were so many people that were like oh my gosh this is so cool or like i heard a mom yeah. be like oh my gosh have you heard of them before and i was like don't worry we're brand new so he we love that them you, was.
0: you might have though but
1: <laughs> i know that made me feel so good to just like hear people talk about it i had friends that drove in from lexington like went way out of their way to come see us so it was so fun. I'm
0: really glad that Shout we did out it. out Lexington folks. Yeah, no, it was so yeah. good. And I think you're right. I think that, and honestly, that kind of segues well into what we're going to be covering today, but that whole discomfort that comes up when you're talking about wellness. And I think here in the South, sometimes you're like retreat, we're doing yoga and Pilates and learning about different modalities for healing your body, whether it's like mental health or your physical health. Mm-hmm. And it can be really easy for people to jump to the super crunchy, super woo. And don't get me wrong, totally. I can get woo with the best of them. But also the fact that we're bringing it down to a very black and white, like scientific approach to how we can incorporate these things into our lives in like a normal, realistic way right. is the big goal. Right. And so seeing that actually be accepted and welcomed. Is really fun and it was exciting. Right. I feel like
1: everyone can relate to the experience of struggling with whether it's understanding your health, feeling like a victim to your health, struggling with how people, like how your doctors talk to you, or how feeling comfortable in a medical space and things like that. And I hope that we can kind of demystify that experience for people. But Mm You know, that leads us to our next point. Today I'm interviewing Dr. Erin and we touch on all of these exact topics. So it was really great to kind of experience that firsthand and then, you know, reflect back on the conversation that I had with her. You know, Erin is someone that we worked with at Wild Health previously. And, you know, we met she actually has come to all the summit retreats that we talked about previously, and she totally dove in and she's the kind of girl that's like She walks the walk and talks the talk. Like she Mm -hmm. puts everything that she talks about into practice and she digs into her own story. So I don't feel like we need to totally dive into that right now. But just to give you guys a little bit of a gist, Erin graduated from Texas College of Osteopathic Medicine. So she was board certified in family medicine. She just began her career, you know, in hospital medicine and just witnessed the devastation that was caused by chronic disease, which is super common, unfortunately. Um, And then she transitioned into a more focus on wellness and disease prevention, which I feel like was earlier for her than a lot of other providers that we have come in contact with. So great for her to be able to kind of recognize that. I think her own experiences with her chronic disease are kind of what pushed her in that direction, but we can get more into that in the actual interview, just sneak peeks there, but, um, so she, that's what kind of led her to wild health was getting in this preventative genomic space. Um, and then she also kind of just talks about, she really cares about inspiring people to thrive. You don't have to just, have expectations of like, I want to be healthy. It's like, no, one step further than that, you're going to thrive and you're going to love this and you're going to feel advocated for by your medical professionals. You're going to have a community around you. You're going to support friends, family, all of these different things. Um, And then I think that's a good gist of kind of her background. But as far as talking points, things that we talked about, we kind of dove into, first of all, her story and how she was diagnosed with lupus while she was in medical school and which is a really huge diagnosis and she was having some really bad joint problems things like that and being in med school being really informed on science when she went to work with her doctors they were just like well you're gonna be on medication the rest of your life and that's that and you know thankfully because she had a foundational knowledge she was like no i'm not doing that (laughs) That doesn't seem right, and did her own research and found doctors to support her. But I think that's so relatable. I I kind of share a little bit about a very similar experience that I had. But Abby, I don't know that I've ever talked to you. Have you ever had an experience like that?
0: I don't. You know, I think that I've not had a super traumatic experience. But like you already said, I think everybody has had that experience where you're just kind of feeling alone. I mean, I remember. <clears throat> excuse me. My very first time having to go to the doctor and wear like the robe you know like you don't get to stay in your Mm -hmm. clothes at your pediatrician anymore you're kind of those like middle school awkward years and I cried I literally and my mom's in the room with me like nothing happened but I just cried at the vulnerability of having to do that it was a male physician which Mm -hmm. no shade there's some Obviously, Incredible Male Physicians will be bringing some onto our podcast and to the workshop, but I think, you know, I'm 11 years old, tiny little child, and having to take my clothes off and wear a robe, and just, it's so unfamiliar and so scary, and to be honest, I don't think that I grew from that experience when it came to my health until probably my late twenties to really understand that Mm -hmm. I need to not just say, you know, okay, yes, yes. uh Uh-huh. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, it was just like this person with authority telling me what to do. And you just say yes, because I felt so little and so vulnerable and I just continued to feel that way.
1: Well, it's like, oh, they know
0: way more than I do.
1: Like how how would I, why would I even
0: say anything? Because how can I contribute? You know? Yeah. And little do we know at the time, you know, how few studies are done on women and considering hormones and considering everything. Not that that's necessarily what this conversation dives into, but I think it just points to you are the person that knows your body the best and you understand how you feel better than anybody else does. So Mm -hmm. don't, you know, allow somebody just because they have this big, amazing career degree whatever to tell you that you don't feel a certain way right and like I have
1: sympathy for all of us in that like of course you would feel uncomfortable going into this sterile environment there's Mm -hmm. bright lights on you it's cold they make you sit on this metal table with
0: paper across it like yeah you feel like you're in an experiment
1: Of course. Like it's not welcoming. It doesn't make you feel healthy. It makes you feel scared and it makes you feel like you're in a jail cell. So, you know, obviously it's normal for women to, and all people, men as well, to feel that way. But, you know, it is interesting to think about like who made that decision. I know that they obviously want those spaces to be clean and well lit, but it feels like there could be a more welcoming way to go about welcoming patients. When you're talking about such vulnerable things, like I hope that That is something that practitioners, I know that I've, you know, seen functional doctors and things like that, that have definitely gone out of their way to have low lighting and pillows and make it a comfortable space. But most, most doctors don't have that. So, you know,
0: it's small things like that, that really do make a big difference, you know? Yeah. A hundred percent. I'm genuinely so excited. I've followed Erin, obviously, when we worked together at Wild Health. But ever since then, she's been on so many podcasts and does so many amazing things on her own to advocate for this topic and similar topics. And I just love everything she puts out. So I can't wait to get a physician's take on how I can kind of turn that trajectory around that I've been on in the healthcare world.
1: Yeah, she breaks it down in a really great way. We kind of dive into these like five practical ways of what she calls like taking back your health. And we kind of dive into those different steps and how people can really practically move forward, even if they don't have the money or the time or whatever it is that is their roadblock for getting access to care. But we dive into things like how you can do things now, even just in your brain to mentally come over these humps or even recognize what those could be. So yeah, it was a really awesome combo. I am really excited for everyone to dive into it, but shall we okay. shall we dive in?
0: I love it. Yeah, I can't wait to hear it and bring it to all of you guys. I hope you guys get a ton out of it.
1: All right, we'll see you guys on the other side. Okay, so I was thinking we could start off by hearing kind of your story. I follow yeah. your newsletter, so I'll probably ping that a few times throughout. But you—you you are a really good writer. I don't know if you're—you have all the parts of your brain active because you're good in the science oh, and you're good you're in writing. Sweet. I actually, yeah, I like I like reading them. So you really well wrote out wrote out your whole story, and in, I'm sure it doesn't even you know encapsulate the entire thing. But
2: I want to hear it in regards more. to the lupus history. Yeah,
1: or just, you know, in general, if there's other details you want to include or yeah. whatever, just smoke yeah. the tea.
2: Well, I had a little bit of a interesting medical history. Um, I was kind of actually a sick kid, which probably plays into my immune health, and I didn't know it. Mm. And then, like, I got pretty sick in undergrad. I got a bone fracture that turned into, like, a bad infection, and I was on a bunch of IV antibiotics. And I think that also is like one of the reasons my immune system a couple of years later, like completely blew back. up. And yeah. so like in hindsight, it makes sense. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But then, yeah, in my second year of medical school, I got like a cold that wasn't any big deal. And I was like living on stress and caffeine and like thinking yeah. everything yeah. was great. Right. Like before yeah. that I was like working and going to med school and like, Spending a ton of time with my family and studying all the time and going to CrossFit and, like, probably drinking eight Diet Cokes a day. Like, just, like, not not the cleanest lifestyle. Mm-hmm, like, staying up mm-hmm. late. And I worked at a wine bar, so I probably have plenty oh, of wine. Yeah. Um, but that's, like, like the normal, living, classic, yeah. you know, like first, Like, life. Yeah. Like, living on cortisol and, you know, <laughs> yeah. Diet Coke. Um and feeling good and healthy and, like, looking like a million bucks and happy and all the things. And then I got uh, a cold, which was, like, no big deal. But then I just didn't get better from it, and I started to get, like, fevers regularly, and my hands mm. started to hurt all the time. I would, like, wake up in the middle of the night, and I, like, couldn't move my hand. Like, they just be, like, throbbing. And then I remember I was at CrossFit, and I, like, fell off the pull-up bar and, like, couldn't grip the barbell. And I was, like, something is wrong with my hands. Like, they are, like, not working. And they'd get, like, bright red. Um yeah. and I was just exhausted. I ended up actually having to move home with my mom um because I just was like napping every day after hospital rounds mm. and after long enough of this, uh, my family's like, you really need to go to the doctor and figure out what the heck's going on. And um I think just initially my primary care did some antibodies because of my hand issues and realized i had the antibodies for lupus and sent me to Mm. rheumatology and i was like so excited for this visit because i felt like i was finally like this was going to be the answers right which is so hilarious in hindsight and i went in there and he was just like oh yeah take this medicine and you know you have lupus and this is gonna be (laughs) yeah that's it and i was like wait wait you know like how long do i need to take this and he's like well forever and i'm like well does the net suppress my immune system? It sounds like not the best idea to take that one, like in the hospital every day, mm. you know, around sick people and infections. Mm. And he was like, yeah, but otherwise this will just keep getting worse and worse. And it probably will anyway, but like this will slow it down. Um, and I was like, well, is there anything I can do to, you know, feel better? And he was like, no, there's really nothing with your lifestyle that could make that, that has been shown to be effective. Um, This is just one of those chronic diseases that just stays with you and then like kind of laughed and left and it was just a really obviously awful appointment. Um, Yeah. And I was really terrified for a hot minute and like feeling really like disempowered and just kind of like this thing happened to me. What am I going to do? You know, like labeled and. And then that didn't last too long. And probably because I was just raised to be like super curious and a little bit rebellious. But I it didn't take too long to just like read about other people's stories and what other people had done to feel better and just like start my trial and error of, you know, mm. what I could do differently um, and looking at the way I was doing things and how it could have been impacting it. And little by little uh, started to feel slightly better and then like. That started to kind of gain momentum and over, I think it was like about a year later that I felt like a hell of a lot better, like significantly better. Like I could Mm -hmm. go for small runs again and like Mm -hmm. I could like do some social outings again and I wasn't getting fevers and like things just started to feel like better. And then maybe a year after that, I was like feeling even better than I had, you know, before the diagnosis, Mm -hmm. but I didn't really know it then, you know, I didn't know that yeah
1: yeah right
2: but that's spoiler alert it wasn't the medicine that
1: it, got wasn't,
2: you it wasn't oh yeah I didn't take I didn't take the meds um yeah that was not the decision I made but I did kind of meet him in the middle um I actually ended up finding a different rheumatologist that I trusted more and it was at least like on board with lifestyle changes and I basically made like a compromise with her, so to speak, that I would regularly check labs because lupus can be super severe. And I have like mildly elevated liver enzymes, but otherwise like my kidneys were healthy. Like my heart was healthy. My lungs were healthy and lupus can seriously impact all of these organ systems and then some. Um, And so Mm -hmm. I was like, look, I'll do regular labs and make sure I'm out of like danger zone. And if needed Mm -hmm. we'll go on meds right um but otherwise let's check my antibodies and see if we can get them down the good old-fashioned way Mm
1: -hmm. so that's how we did it it's so
2: interesting
1: before we dive into kind of like all of those interventions that you found can we talk about like why doctors end up at this point you're a physician you're surrounded by Mm -hmm. people i working at wild health talk to people all the time that are burnt out and ready to make this transition into you know more preventative useful holistic care but I've had my fair share of negative experiences with doctors even you know I had a experience with a GI where I brought in my Genova report because um Julie my my primary physician we got this testing done. There were some really scary results on there. And she was like, oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. you need to go to colonoscopy. You need to take this straight to your GI. This is huge. Like this is crazy off the charts, whatever. I took it in there. I was like so nervous, but excited to like have something tangible to give this man. Cause previously he's just like, you know, take laxative, take laxative, take laxative. You're fine. Yeah. And then he, I tried to show him this report. First of all, he didn't know how to read it. He was so infuriated that I even like tried to provide him with information and said that I was wasting my money and time, Shh. that, you know, having this sort of information, it can be scary and it's not useful and you just need to keep taking more laxative. And like, yeah, it's crazy that physicians could, to me, obviously not being a physician, I have sympathy because there's so much out there to know and learn and continuously be updating your knowledge with but at some point you know it's scary for people for someone that's not as knowledgeable that was really scared in that moment you know
2: totally i'm really sorry sure you went through that um unfortunately like, i wish i could say it was uncommon um right and i think you and i both know it's not uh mm-hmm. and i think you hit the nail on the head when you use the word scary and i know doctors would never most would never admit this but i think that's mm-hmm. probably the underlying emotion there like, they don't know what to do with what they don't know, right? Like, mm-hmm. the newer age of medicine that's more, like, nf of one medicine, like, what? wild health practices and precision medicine mm-hmm. is, is stuff that hasn't had, like, years and decades of data behind it that gives people, like, a cushion for this is why we're making this decision. This is what all the doctors before mm-hmm. did. This is what, like this has a legal cushion behind it. You know, this gives me some comfort. This is what's done right. Quote unquote. And mm-hmm. this newer, like frontier of medicine, so to speak, or like medicine 3.0 as Peter Atio calls it is, you know, it's kind of the brave new frontier. Like it's, you know, you're taking a patient and getting data on them and making decisions based on just that for the most part, right? Like you take into account Mm -hmm. evidence, but like it's newer medicine, right? And I think, I think that's part of it. And I also think just in general, when people don't understand, they act out. Like I think Mm -hmm. when they don't understand and they have fear or ignorance, like it's easier to be controlling or to be angry or to have Mm. some of these other emotions, you know? Yeah. And I think that's like a more comfortable place for a lot of doctors to be like, oh, do it this way because I said so or do it this way because evidence says so versus Mm -hmm. like actually listening to the patient and looking at some data from them that might they maybe don't understand it right away. And that happens to me every single week in my clinic. A patient will be like, because I get really smart patients, right? And they're Mm. like, oh, I was looking up this new study or looking up (laughs) this new thing. And like, what do you think about this for me based on like this part of my genetics? And I'm like, you know what? I'm not sure, but let me, let me research it and talk to this person that knows more about this than me or like read this thing. And like, we can get to the bottom of it together because if we're not helping patients with it, like who's, who's going to help them, you Mm -hmm. know, like Mm -hmm. that, like there's not a lot of specialists providing this like level of care. So I think it's all about like being able to like be more partners in health versus like the old like patriarch or patriarchal model of healthcare where it's like you're wearing the white the coat power. and you mm-hmm. you give the orders and you have the power and like mm-hmm. like my grandmother we go to the doctor together sometimes and like she would never dare even ask a question to her doctor. You know, and I'm like, this is your health. Like, this is your body. Like, you can understand that. And she's like, no, the doctor just tells me what to do. And, like, that's the way it was done. And now people have information at their fingertips. People can order their own labs. People can, like, Google their everything. And, Mm -hmm. oh, like, medical literature is available online. And, like, I love it because I feel like I learn every day and I feel like Mm -hmm. I learn with my patients. But I don't think people who don't understand that level of healthcare, I just don't think they. I don't think they know how to handle it. And I also think people are like, not to give excuses, but people are tired and lack, they don't don't have a good amount of extra time either, you know? And so they're like, how am I even gonna like, I don't have time to review this and try to understand something I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to do it the way I've always done it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then that ultimately
1: also contributes to their fear and reason to react because they're like, totally, you know, yeah. So on the opposite side of things, thinking about you and me leaving those appointments and being in that fear, there's so many people out there that experience that. Mm -hmm. You had the super empowering experience of shifting that mindset from being in fear to empowering yourself. And you were in med school, so you did come from a little bit more of a foundation of knowledge. But maybe walk me through how you think that could be possible for people, you know, outside of that situation.
2: For me, I think if this was actually rooted in empathy for me, because I remember maybe like the next day, I remember being like, wow, you know, I have a biology degree, I'm in medical school, I have family support, like I have some financial support, you know, Mm -hmm. like it was hard to pay for the medical bills, but it wasn't like I was like drowning, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, I was like able to work and all these things. And I was like, how does everyone else do this? like, I know I have a scientific, like background. I know I have like a million people to support me right now, like more than what most people have walking into that. And I still felt like so disempowered walking out of there. So it was like, really a a perspective shift for me, because I just made mm-hmm. me realize what patients go through, you know, when mm-hmm. they walk in and like, I, it's like how I feel when I take my car in, I tell my husband that because he's <laughs> like a motorsports <laughs> consultant. Yeah. right? And I'm like, when I go and people say, you need to do this, this, and this, your car, I, d- I just have to be at their mercy. Now I don't because I have him, but like in general, that's how I think a lot of people feel when they go to the doctor. Like someone tells you something's wrong and you just have to trust it. And like when that's your life, that's so freaking scary. So how you get there. This is such an interesting question. And this is one of the things I'm talking about a lot in the course that I'm creating of like your mindset of health. And I do think this is something I don't fully have the answer to yet, because I think part of this is just like inherent human nature. Like, are Mm -hmm. you like willing to be growth oriented? Are you willing to like, take responsibility for your outcome? That doesn't mean that it's your fault at all. Um, It's not about blame, but Your outcome is your responsibility, even if it's not your fault that X, Y, or Z thing happened. Like how Mm -hmm. you choose to handle it and how you choose to approach your diagnosis. Like you can be a victim to it, or you can take charge of it and shift it and try to find a better outcome. And that that can't be done by your doctor. Like hopefully you have a better doctor that can show you that and tell you that Mm -hmm. and like show you what could happen if you do X, Y, or Z things, but it has to come from inside initially. So I don't, it's such a good question because I think part of that is just inherent and I think people can develop it, but I still think it has to come from inside. Um, Mm -hmm. But when it comes to like, how, like how to make the changes, I think having someone, there to expand you is really powerful. It d- it doesn't have to be a doctor. I think that's really nice when it's a health concern. If a doctor can tell you like, oh, I've been through this or this patient's been through this and they did this thing and like they're feeling a lot better now. It can help your mind like see that something else is possible. Um right. for me it was like reading about other outcomes. I think that was my expander there of like you know, oh, some other people did these things and they felt better, like it's possible.
1: Mm-hmm. So
2: I'm going to choose to focus on that and focus that, you know, and it also just always made sense to me that if the body, like the body is made to heal, like it's made to work. And mm-hmm. so if it wasn't working, I had most likely unknowingly not supported my body in a way it needed or, or done something that, you know, or unknowingly stumbled into something that you know, made my body not function in the most optimal way. But that means that there's something that can be done to to fix it, right? So absolutely, that's kind of how I look at it. It's cool to think about too.
1: It is empowering to think about the aspect that before you even dig into, you know, what changes you need to make on the outside, it really does boil down to kind of your internal perspective on what's happened or, you know, what is happening or anything. It could be a number of examples. But thinking about kind of this mind-body connection where your brain truly does power, have power. I have heard so many times just this idea that, especially with autoimmune, that your emotional well-being plays a huge role on your immune system altogether. And maybe that's false. You can fact check me there. But, you know, just the way that having a positive outlook, not only, you know, I don't. I think it's just for me, it took a little bit to get over this idea that your brain really does have that much power in your actual physiological healing because your, your brain's autopilot is to kind of go to this negative place of feeling sorry for yourself, being scared and not allowing yourself to say like, no, actually being more positive about this is supporting my outcomes. So that's even more of a reason to, you know, think of it that way. But there's like so many me.
2: things you just said that I would like, I <laughs> want to dive into. It's like a gold goldmine. Um, no, you're exactly right. Our mind and our thoughts have extreme, like uh, an extreme influence on our biology mm-hmm. and our physiology. And that's actually super clear in research. And this is why it's interesting to me that it still looked at us so like woo woo. Um, The field of psychoneuroimmunology, which is what we're talking about here, which is like a bunch of jargon for, you know, and like hard science word for how much our feelings and our thoughts and our emotions impact our physical health. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And science is crystal clear here. And it's, it's not a brand new field. You know, think about like even something as simple as like thinking about a lemon. Like, what does that do? It makes your mouth water, right? Like, mm-hmm. just thinking about it, like it already makes your mouth water, like something like that. Or like, you can think about a hard experience you've been through before. I'm not like saying everyone should do that. But if you do, like, it can make your heart race, you know, mm-hmm. like, you don't have to be going through it. Perceived stress is the same thing as stress to our physiology. And so mm-hmm. it's really all about how people feel about things. That is the reality. You know, that's what our body experiences and ourselves experience, and what it kind of boils down to is that when we're in a state of stress, certain hormones and, you know, chemicals essentially are secreted things like cortisol, adrenaline or adrenaline, things like that, epinephrine um, for if you've heard of it that way, uh, but essentially like stress hormones and chemicals. And those do things like raise our cytokines. If you've watch the news during covid you've probably heard the term cytokine storm it's essentially like chemical messengers for our immune system that raise inflammation so inflammation is raised from stress hormones blood Mm -hmm. sugar is raised from stress hormones sex hormones are lowered from stress hormones so it's harder to conceive like so many things biologically happen and then when we're in a state of inflammation and dysregulation of our blood sugar that circles back and causes like our serotonin to get lower so we're not as happy our you know, neurotransmitters aren't working as efficiently. And so then the loop continues, right? Because then our stress thoughts even even are easier to come across because our mm-hmm. minds aren't working quite as well. And so it's this terrible positive feedback cycle where things just worsen each other. And it's just interesting. Like the science is so clear that it's interesting. It's like not at all, like it's not it's not at all like up for question, like that this mm-hmm. is the way things work, that it's interesting to me that it's still looked at as like, so separate in medicine, or at least in Western medicine. Yeah, Um, yeah. But I think for like a simpler explanation to people who maybe don't have a science background, like I'm really convinced that if we have a mind that is focused on illness, like we can't get well. Like if Mm -hmm. a mind is like looking for and focused on illness, it's really hard to heal a body. And I think that's, it's tough though, because it's a really double-edged sword. Because if you're constantly like, good vibes only it. That's, <laughs> that's also what's gonna be not my good. next. Yeah. Yeah. Because then you're suppressing all the real negative emotions.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: And like think about a kid. If you tell them to not cry and hold it in, like everything gets worse, right? Like same for adults. We just don't yeah. admit it. Like you gotta cry it out. You gotta express real emotions. So it's right. it's about finding that medium. Like don't have rose colored mm-hmm. glasses on. Like let your real emotions come up at the appropriate times, right? In the appropriate ways. And don't just focus on what's wrong. Like if you're constantly looking for what's wrong in your body and don't have a belief that it can heal, you won't find health. Like you just won't. If you're going from functional medicine doctor to functional medicine doctor, spending thousands of dollars on tests every month, you know, you're convinced something is wrong. You're constantly in this state of surveying for what could be wrong with, you know, your lists of supplements and lists of labs for many years. And and I've had many patients like this and I have so much compassion for them. And if it, if you're so focused on that, like your body can't, it can't heal because it's in that constant stress, stress right. state. I'm a huge fan of Tara
1: Brock and this experience or this concept of radical acceptance. Cause it's that perfect mm-hmm. example of being able to open your heart to the waves of emotions or experiences that you have without attaching the story with it, yeah, you know? And you can ground yourself in this piece of acceptance where you're here and you're now and you're in the experience that you're having, but you don't have all of these stories wrapped around it where I'm sick or I'm a victim or something's wrong. But you can say, this is what's happening and and I know what's happening. I'm going to keep tabs on it. I'm going to know myself. I'm going to listen to my intuition. But there's also a clear line between intuition and anxiety and it's not always clear, but being able to find that for yourself is super important. And I think (laughs) there's lots of tools out there to support someone in doing that.
2: I think what's tricky, and I love that. I love the waves analogy. We call it surfing in my household. This came up when we um, struggled with recurrent pregnancy loss last year. And my husband, God bless him. He just like emotions would come up out of nowhere sometimes. I don't know Mm. if it was the hormones or just like the gravity of the situation. Um all in all it brought us closer and it's been like a great experience now. But in the moment it was really hard and like out of nowhere I just had these huge waves of emotion come up and he would just be like, All right, are we surfing? Like let's go through it. And like we would like literally go through the emotion and like let the nervous system calm and It was, Mm -hmm. like, a nice way to look at it because I do feel like it comes in waves. I feel like that's a really nice analogy, and it's not Mm -hmm. forever. Like, that big feeling Mm -mm. is not forever. But if you don't let it come up and surface, like, everything gets screwed up. Like, that is when I start – people start feeling random symptoms and, like, Mm -hmm. you know, you start feeling things in your body when emotions get suppressed. And what's what's tough about Mm -hmm. this is I think these skills or maybe sometimes lack of skills – um, in this department, which is not a bad way to put it, that's like a very blamey way to put it, coping mechanisms that were, mm. that, that were put in place really intelligently usually happen at a super young age for people. So usually right. the way we are able to handle our physical feelings and emotions was like really built very early in our lives, like pre-seven for sure, um, but oftentimes like three or four. Like when we're really young, we're kind of taught like, or we make up a story like you said that it's like it's okay to have these big emotions or it's not okay to have these big emotions and i need to perfect mm-hmm. or i need to protect or i need to like be like, really good or like whatever mm-hmm. needed to happen in your life to have like the best childhood and it's so smart that kids learn these things and then sometimes as an adult it can just be not the most helpful for Things like health and relationships and Mm -hmm, and other things. mm -hmm. So it can take some like support really more than anything of um, kind of tangling this and learning how to like be with your feelings that come up. And this is like not what people tend to want to hear when they're coming in with like physical symptoms. (laughs) They're like, this is not what I'm here for. (laughs) (laughs) But it's always the most helpful thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's kind of back down to the root of it, you know, and letting people understand themselves is is the root of it. It looks yeah, different for everyone. Yeah.
2: I think probably the most common underlying precursor to autoimmunity that I've seen through the years is, is repressed anger. I think if I had to boil it down huh. to the most common thing I see, it's typically people that are like caregivers and like really kind and always doing things for other people mm. and kind of putting themselves last and like they're like I'm not angry like I don't have anything to be angry about I'm like bullshit like I bet you are Mm -hmm, about mm -hmm. I bet you do have some things to be angry about and I bet you've never been comfortable with your anger and I bet you've been holding it inside and it's probably the most Mm -hmm. common Gabber Mate has done a lot of research on this and talks about this a lot and I see it all the time in my patients so that's so interesting a common thread
1: yeah it's cool to think about too kind of how this plays out for people because for me, I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's when I was 17. Mm -hmm. And,
2: you know, I,
1: it was super, yeah, I, I don't know anyone else my age still that has it. And I think the way that I've gone about it has been honestly the opposite of you in a sense where I didn't have any foundational knowledge about it. And still to this day, I've never really done a true deep dive on the condition because I know myself, I know that I can get really fixated. I can create Mm -hmm. symptoms for myself if I attach to them, you know, and over the years, I've obviously learned things. I work in a medical organization, so, you know, things pass my brain and I learn about it, but at the same time, being able to have a group of trusted people around me that I feel like do advocate for my health just as much as I do, that can educate me on what I have control over. and without going so far that I, you know, do create these symptoms or have this information overload or fear about the outcome when I can only control my own actions or my own thoughts, my own feelings. And so obviously it's going to look different for every person. You know, some people's instincts, once they get a diagnosis to go online and Google, Google, Google. Um, But maybe that's, you know, not everyone's reaction. And it's helped me a lot with lowering my numbers and getting elevated and figuring it out, I'm still on this huge journey and would love to go into remission. But, you know, it's just interesting to think about how there's different ways of going about it and still being empowered at the same time, you know?
2: Well, I mean, I think you really are empowering yourself in that way, especially Mm -hmm. given that you know that you tend to fixate on things. Like, it's really – like kind of surrendering to your team and trusting them is like a huge way to support your body. I had to learn this the hard way on our fertility journey. You know, I came to a point where initially I was just seeing my first OB and wasn't getting a lot of help and kind of knowing in my gut that something else was wrong. And I remember talking with my husband almost a year ago, exactly. of like, I need a team. Like I'm going to drive myself crazy. I'm going to try to hyper control this And it's going to cause so much stress in my body because this is not what I'm an expert at. And even if I were, I don't want to be quarterbacking this. I want somebody that I trust that can make these decisions and I can surrender to that and just take care of myself. And we ended up finding a functional medicine OB that was on our team. We found a great reproductive endocrinologist. like a great obstetrician and we have this whole team now and i don't have to make all the decisions now and i haven't had to since we made that team and it's been so relieving and i say this to my patients a lot when they come to me and i'm like tell me your biggest fears right now and they tell me and then i'm like great let me carry it like let me carry that. that let me make sure nothing terrible happens and let me be on the lookout and we'll do the testing like if you ever Mm -hmm. have a terrible gut feeling send like let me know and we'll do the testing we're not going to have you sit in that but let me make those decisions of what do we need to look out for how often do we need to do labs like you know is there something else we need to be worrying about you know when your fears come up voice them and we'll address them but like you Mm -hmm. don't need to be on the lookout and making every decision because you have you have somebody that's got your back and that can carry that. And I think that just allows the nervous system to just like settle in. And totally. you've already done that beautifully yourself, which is super insightful, actually. Mm-hmm. like I think that's one of the best things you could do for your thyroid health is mm-hmm. to let your nervous system like chill out and give that mm-hmm. over to somebody that's quite frankly really qualified for it.
1: Mm-hmm. How do you feel like people can go about navigating, you know, like you obviously had to look online, talk to people to find a good team, but where do people start to kind of build a group of people that they do trust?
2: Yeah, I think it starts with just having a voice and realizing like you can pick your team and knowing what's Mm -hmm. available. Like this is actually a part of the last module in my course of like how to navigate the healthcare system with autoimmunity. Because I think it's tricky when it comes to autoimmunity, because we don't have a great specialist for autoimmunity in like the Western healthcare system. Functional medicine Mm -hmm. and precision medicine is probably as close as it gets, maybe rheumatology. But like, even then, I mean, for your Hashimoto's they're going to send you to endocrinology for mm-hmm. you know Crohn's or or ulcerative colitis they're going to send you to GI for MS they're going to send you to neuro like and it goes on and on and on and so there's no one group that's super like that's like looking at the bigger picture of why is the immune system dysfunctional there's there are yeah. immunologists and there are there are scientists that look at this but they don't tend to have as much clinical interaction so it's kind of tough To know as a patient, you tend to just start with your primary care and then once you get a diagnosis, then you get sent to the right specialist. But the problem is diagnoses don't usually come. I mean, it's an average of five years, but oftentimes it's more like closer to a decade by the time you actually have like auto antibodies that have differentiated themselves to a specific diagnosis. And at that Mm -hmm. point, like we should have been doing work on the immune system so long before that to probably keep that from ever happening. You know, right. so when patients get those like gut feelings of like, you know what, I don't feel as good as I used to, like, I'm not losing or gaining weight like I used to, or my periods are off and my gut feels funky or my energy levels aren't as great. Like, you mm-hmm. know, when you don't feel good, like people know, and maybe like mm-hmm. you go to the doctor and your labs and blood pressure are fine. And so they're like, you're fine. No problem. Like, come back next year. But i am yeah really supportive of patients trusting that and then finding a doctor that will listen and will deeper dive and then letting that like then trusting the answer once they find a provider they trust and not continuing yeah. to like go down that rabbit hole of finding ev- like un- uncovering every single stone sometimes yeah. it's necessary but typically it-, it causes more stress in the system
1: yeah and a lot of times there's a route that you can start resolving that will trickle down to all the different side effects and symptoms that they're experiencing.
2: Yes, but it's interesting. I I I'm, i am haven't been proven wrong on this yet. And there I, I do think there are cases that will prove me wrong in my career, but I think the vast mm-hmm. majority of the time, so it's not like super black and white, but I think it's the vast majority of the time, when you are foundationally caring for a body in a way that creates immune tolerance and resilience, it it should be able to tolerate the things that most people think of as root issues. So, like mold mm. exposures, viral exposures, like Epstein Barr, you know, heavy metal exposures. Like these are things mm-hmm. that, unless they're in massive quantities, that are like still coming at you all the time and a constant trigger like the body should be able to tolerate it the immune system should be able to tolerate it and it's kind of like a i don't know if you've heard of like germ theory versus terrain theory with antibiotics Mm -mm. but it's very Mm -mm. similar like like when antibiotics were created decades ago um essentially like scientists were like oh should we attack the bacteria or should we is there something wrong with the host that made it susceptible to this infection? And should we promote the host and like promote, like fix the terrain basically. Right. And obviously we went with germ theory, right? Like we went hard with germ theory and all the antibiotics and like antibiotics are super necessary sometimes. And oftentimes people get infections because their terrain's is dysregulated, right? And they're susceptible to that infection. Right. If they're like blood sugar's really higher, they're inflamed or they have leaky gut, like so many things can cause you to get, like be more likely to get an infection And I'm really like, when it comes to everyday health, a big fan of the terrain theory and creating an immune system that is resilient to daily stressors and and, like supporting Mm -hmm. that system to where, you know, it can create the healthy environment that can like roll with the punches of everyday exposures. So that's, that's how I look at it. And that's how I like Mm -hmm. to do testing on patients. It also saves them thousands of dollars, which is like a nice bonus. Yeah, yeah. And then if we do all those things and the symptoms are still there, occasionally there's an obscure thing going on and then we do the testing, right? Right. Um, But I think starting with the foundation is important for everybody. In one of your newsletters, which everyone,
1: if you want to learn more about Erin and keep up with her, she does have a newsletter. It's amazing. I read it every week. But you did outline five steps for kind of taking back your health and you don't have to have them in your memory. I can read them off to you if you don't remember exactly how you wrote it out. Um, But this could be a good starting point for someone even outside of the medical system before they have that good team, before they find people that they really trust, being able to look at themselves in their home where they're at and be able to make changes. So you started out by saying no The next one was respecting our body's rhythms, cleaning up your diet, learning your stress edge, and then finding the right provider was that last one. So maybe you could dig into each of those a little bit more.
2: Yeah, totally. So saying no was like the big one for me. Like when I talked about looking into how you deal with emotions and kind of what we talked about earlier here, you know, that was the big one for me. Like, I, I had a really hard time saying mm-hmm. no to anything, like social obligations or taking care of other yeah. people. Or I was always the first to, like, help everybody. And I just always overloaded my system and even said yes to things that, like, weren't aligned with me at all when I was younger. Um, and it was, like, a really hard word for me to learn to say. And now it's, like, so easy. It's funny. I'm, like, really good at saying no now. Mm-hmm. Um But that was super – it's like a simple kind of cheeky way of of saying just I got a hold of, like, my boundaries and, like, my emotional, Mm -hmm. like, edges and really learned what, like, was aligned with me and what wasn't and Mm -hmm. started to become, like, true to that for myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that was probably the single most helpful thing I did. And that's going to be really different for everybody, but there are common patterns, and I talk about this in in the course that's coming out soon. Like, there's common emotional patterns that I see in patients that tend to be things that people struggle with. So, if like you've never even thought about these topics before, sometimes it can be helpful to look at like some like patterns and say like, oh, that feels like something I resonate with, or you know, or maybe it doesn't at all. Maybe there's another one mm-hmm. that does. Um, the second one is like, supporting rhythms. And I think I was talking about circadian rhythms in this Um, and just in general, like (laughs) when I got diagnosed with lupus, I was like staying up working late at night and I was like studying at four o'clock in the morning and having caffeine at all hours of the day. And I really had to lean into like what my system needed. And it's funny now I'm like, I get sunshine in the morning and I go for walks every day and I like don't drink alcohol anymore. And I barely drink caffeine and I have all the, like my circadian rhythms are like optimal. Um, but it was so far from that, uh, when I got diagnosed and all of our cells and our organs run on rhythms. And so starting to support those circadian rhythms is super, super, super powerful and actually like very simple when it comes to daily, so simple. like, like like, action steps you can take and free Mm -hmm. for the most part, which is Mm -hmm. nice. What was the third one? Diet? Yes, diet. Yeah, cleaning up diet. So, like, I I don't think – I don't know if this is when we were recording, but I was, like, um, wine and Diet Coke were essentially my beverages of choice when I was in my early 20s when all this was starting, which is hilarious now Mm because I don't drink either of those things um, ever uh, maybe like a sip of wine once a year, but like never on soda. Um, yeah. But I, I had to learn what my like balance was with my diet. Initially, I went strict paleo because I had read a lot of stories of people that got a lot better on paleo. And I had also been diagnosed with celiac disease a couple years prior. So I knew mm. that was going to be I figured that was on the right track for me because I was eating gluten-free at this point, but like crappy gluten-free, like super processed and, you know, like not the right way. All the crackers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I did strict paleo and like super whole foods diet, kicked um, caffeine and alcohol for a while. And now I'm not even close to that strict. But when I was really sick, it was actually really helpful to reset my system. That being Mm -hmm. said, I was coming out with an energy of, like, this is going to heal my body, not, like, a super restrictive energy that was, like, stressing Mm -hmm. me out. It was actually offering me a lot of relief, and so I think it worked for me. I definitely have patience, and I've been at times in my life, too, where I'm, like, restricting things that it's not serving me as much, like, actually having more – like having a more loose approach to my diet is a lot more helpful for my health at certain times in my life Yeah. so like now I'm gluten free always because I'm celiac but otherwise I like I just don't eat processed food really like I eat some processed food I take that back I don't eat like ultra processed chemical laden food so Mm -hmm. I eat like some like gluten free pasta sometimes And you know like I eat some processed food but like the processed food I eat I'm like conscious of the ingredients of You know, I know Mm -hmm. what it's made of And I'm not gonna, I like, I never eat fast food I never eat, like, stuff that, like I don't know what's in it Or full of, like, chemicals that I don't know what they do So that's the only thing that's, like, hard and fast for me That and gluten-free And it works really, Mm -hmm. really well I also, like, don't drink much alcohol And I know what does and doesn't work for my body But in general, like, my diet's pretty lax And I have, like, a little bit of sugar if I want to But I prefer, like, the real ice cream Versus, like the fake whatever that's like lower mm-hmm. calorie right pretends to be healthy yeah exactly exactly and that's really worked well for me over the last decade of like finding that happy medium it's not restricted my social life at all i have a lot of joy mm-hmm. i love food we cook all the time and i feel really good on this um and i find with my patients that like a more balanced approach is way better i almost never recommend autoimmune paleo like sometimes for people super struggling for like 30 days, we'll do it. But that's about it. Mm-hmm.
1: And it's a muscle to grow. Like you can't expect people to know how to eat healthy initially, especially depends on where they grew up, who they're surrounded mm-hmm. by. They have families, they have partners that bring food into the home. And like understanding and educating and learning about ingredients and what they mean can be so supportive. For, for me, at least it was and just understanding, you know, maybe you don't feel this instant, like you, not everyone has celiac and can feel the effects of gluten immediately when they go in their bodies. Yeah. And it's kind of something that you accumulate over time
2: and strengthen, you know? Totally. And what's another thing that's interesting about diet is this isn't something that I have struggled a ton with. Cause I've always had like a pretty hearty appetite and I've never tended towards like super strict dieting, but I think I'm a minority Ignore. in women, especially women with health concerns, um, mm. most of the women, I would say probably at least 80% of the women that come to me with autoimmune or inflammatory symptoms are not eating enough by a long shot, like just mm. quantity of food and quantity of protein. Like they're just not getting mm-hmm. enough nutrients, which is putting their body in a stress state as well. Like, or if they're like over fasting or under fueling or over training, like these things are all, this goes into the next category of the stress edge but like mm-hmm. those are all putting the body in a stress state so it's not just about like what you should or shouldn't eat but it's also about like making sure you're actually fueling appropriately and mm-hmm. i think most women are are drastically under fueling from my experience um even women that are like especially women that are overweight i would say actually um they're typically not eating enough nutrients so that's one of the reasons their metabolism is is not like revving up to to help them
1: yeah i hear a lot the idea of like we don't have to start by taking out, start by adding in. And then once you fill your plate with those healthier whole ingredients, then you're craving those other things less and less because you don't even have enough
2: room to eat them, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the body just knows what to do when it's supported. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so our hunger and full cues are hormones, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's also physiologic. When we're when we're hungry, or when we're full, hormones are telling us those things. And when we're mm-hmm. eating a bunch of food that our body doesn't know what it is, it, it dysregulates all of that. Like it do, the body doesn't know what to do with it because it's just chemicals. And so when mm-hmm. we give the body like the support and the nourishment it needs, you know, our hormones all tend to level out and the metabolism kind of starts to fix itself. Yeah.
1: You also wrote that your mantra is nothing tastes as good as feeling good. And yes. that stuck with me so much, especially in the motivational sense when you are confronted with an opportunity to eat something that you not and for me I don't I don't really struggle with punishing myself and and limiting what I eat either. I feel like I have come to I've always had a pretty fairly balanced diet. I don't feel like I've ever really needed to restrict myself. But the biggest thing is kind of like I don't know how to tell you know, my aunt that I can't eat this really nice cake that she baked. And I feel really guilty about it mm-hmm. and learning how to have, you know, confidence in yourself to have those types of conversations, but also do it in a lighthearted way that feels good for yourself and remind yourself over and over, like, it feels good to make these decisions. It's not about restricting or cutting out or, you know, having a, a strict boundary. It's just kind of like, I know it feels good for me, you know?
2: And a lot of that loops back to the first category as well, right? Like just knowing even what is good for you and like how to voice those things. Like first you have to know Mm -hmm. it yourself and feel good Mm -hmm. in that yourself. And then the ability to sometimes voice it to others is like, it's complex, you know? But for me, especially when my diet was more strict when I was doing paleo and I would find myself like missing that glass of wine or whatever. I'm just like, it's not worth it. Like I feel better now. Mm -hmm. It's not worth it. Like I don't Mm -hmm. miss it that much. You know, I don't miss it to like get a fever tomorrow or like not be able to hang out with my family because I'm napping three hours in the middle of the day. Like that's, I don't miss it that much. And so that was like really helpful for me initially, especially just fully when it came down to like what I was eating and making those changes. Yeah. I also have like a lot of willpower. um, And so (laughs) that was helpful.
1: (laughs) Uh, Thinking too, like, This is probably so silly, but for me, just reminding myself that like my taste buds, just because they're craving something, that's one small portion of my entire whole body. You know, like just because my taste buds are craving something doesn't mean that my stomach and the whole rest of my organs are doing the
2: same. You know. Totally, totally. And then once you learn more about science, it's like, was I actually hungry, or was my blood sugar just low because I ate that thing earlier? Um, Right. It's just it's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. so take us into the stress edge so the stress edge was super powerful i was like constantly surpassing my stress edge and it was like a badge of mm. honor for me earlier in my life like oh there's a wall in front of me like let me knock through it and then i'll like mm-hmm. be worthy of whatever i don't know and mm-hmm. i that's just how i dealt with problems i like you know head first and like Like I said, willpower, right? And every single time when it comes to the big things in my life that have shifted for the positive, it's been on the other side of actually surrender. So like trusting the process or like trusting myself or like calming down or like settling in like those softer things. And that might not be the case for everybody, but I do see it really commonly. And there is like a bigger arch of that that I think in terms of like emotional work that you have to come to in terms of stress. And that's what most people think of with stress. But actually what I think is really powerful to start with is physical stressors for the body. So mm-hmm. I think it's more tangible for people and it's less abstract. Um So thinking about like I swapped nothing against CrossFit. CrossFit's great, but like it was too much for my body at that time. I now could go do CrossFit mm-hmm. if I wanted, but at that time, it was too much oxidative stress on my system, just full stop for for the amount mm-hmm. of inflammation going on in my body. And so I swapped that for something gentler like yoga and walks. And that's still to this day what I come back to if I'm at a state where my body is less resilient. Um, When it comes Mm -hmm. to sleep, Uh, you know, I tell people to think of their overall stress like a battery life on an iPhone. And so, like, if you didn't sleep as well or if you don't sleep well or, like, maybe you have a newborn at home or, you know, whatever whatever season you're in. If you're waking up and you're already at 40% because it was, like, the worst night of sleep ever, you probably don't have the resiliency to go do that super hard workout or, like, have that two glasses of wine that night or, like, you know thinking of the body as like an actual like stress limit is super helpful for people mm. i think and mm. the common stressors i see are not sleeping enough overtraining not fueling enough or over fasting and maybe people that are doing like hormetic stressors like ice baths and saunas and like in our wild health population that certainly is common um I'm sure. less so in like the average population mm-hmm. um but just kind of getting a handle on those daily stressors, you know, and just making mm-hmm. sure on the days where your battery is lower, then you're going to just go for a walk on that day. Or maybe you're overcoming an illness, so your battery lower. Maybe like you had super devastating news that week and you're constantly, you know, you're emotionally really stressed out and strained. Like those are the times to like take it easier, like eat really nourishing meals and, you know, make sure you eat enough of them um, because fasting mm-hmm. is definitely a stressor you know, train a little less hard, just go on a walk that day or do something that feels really good for your body and like gentle movement, you know, maybe don't do the ice plunge on the, the hardest week, right? You know, mm-hmm. so that that's kind of what I mean about like finding that balance. And then, of course, there's great like wearables out there now that can help us determine what that battery life is, um, like aura or root mm-hmm. or things like that, that can get us numbers if you don't feel like you're like intuition is is on the money with that yeah that didn't exist when I was figuring all this yeah. out you know a decade ago but now it's really nice and I use those tools myself yeah I love the idea of a wearable that was kind of going to lead me into
1: my next question before we brought that up but me and my boyfriend have disagreements about this all the time where he's like I need a stress release like I've had a hard day I've been stressed out like things like that I need to go do a really hard workout to release this And I'm the opposite where I'm like, this is going to make me boil over and I can't handle it, which can that look different for different people? Or is it kind of this line of like, you know, your immune system can only take so much, you know?
2: So it certainly can look different for different people. Exercise can feel like a big emotional stress relief because it gives us a lot of endorphins and it gives Mm. us a lot of positive emotions flowing in us. It is quite literally stressful, though in the definition Mm. of like stress on ourselves because Mm -hmm. it releases inflammation and oxidative stress when we exercise. Now, Mm -hmm. if we have, resilience from an inflammatory and immune perspective, then we should be able to tolerate that acute inflammation really well and release it. And, you know, it it shouldn't cause any lasting damage. So with a person that is dealing with like chronic immune intolerance or dysregulation or inflammation, that is probably, they're probably going to be a lot more sensitive to that than the person who doesn't deal with that. That being said, Mm -hmm. There's a lot of data on like endurance athletes that have earlier heart disease probably due to oxidative stress, you know, or Like we see a lot of CrossFitters that come in and have like really suffering like adrenal axis hormones, probably from Hmm. chronic oxidative stress. So there's some of that, that like, even if you're not like overtly having symptoms, if you overtrain, you're probably doing yourself a disservice. That doesn't mean like an exercise to be a stress reliever is overtraining in an, in an isolated instant. But if that's like every single day, the only way someone deals with their stress, it could turn into that. Right, right.
1: Yeah, and that's why, you know, having something like the Whoop or Aura or something like that can show you how recovered are you? Do you need the day, yeah. you know, tangibly? Yeah. Which is so cool.
2: Yeah, exactly. Okay.
1: Beautiful. And then that last step of just finding the right provider, which I know that we kind of talked about, but do you have any recommended resources that people can use? You know, even thinking for myself, like if I were to just Google like is there keywords to
2: use? You know, how how can yeah. you even start to find someone? I think if you're looking for somebody that is going to have a bit more time with you, it typically means that insurance is not going to cover it. Not always, but just be aware that those things don't always go together just by mm-hmm. nature of, of the game. Um, but I think precision medicine and functional medicine are two categories I would look into if you're looking for more personalized care and to kind of deep dive into the root cause of what's going on or get a better understanding of your health. Obviously, Wild Health is great. They work nationally. Um, I see patients in four states. I'd love to see anybody if, if you're in those areas. I'm in Oklahoma, uh, Washington State, Colorado, and Texas um, and see people virtually. Um, and there's tons of other great functional and precision medicine providers, there's certainly always, you know, there there are some great PCPs that I know that like don't fit the mold and are absolutely wonderful to go see and mm-hmm. will like take that journey with their patients. Um, I wouldn't say it's like the average PCP anymore, which is a little bit yeah. sad. Um, and a lot of that's just due to like time and stress and burnout and all those things. Um, you know, the system's just not quite made for it anymore. But I would say as a as a patient, starting to look up like functional medicine providers or precision medicine providers is a really good place to start but generally just like listen to your intuition if you're going somewhere and you feel like your doctor doesn't listen to you doesn't trust you like doesn't give you the time of day like find a new one like you are the advocate for your health and at the end of the day like you need to find a partner in your care if you're trying to solve a problem or get get mm-hmm. a like get an issue supported and no one is going to find that person for you. Or if it's your child, like no one else is going to find that person for your child or your parent or whoever it is that you're advocating for. Um, And so the the good thing is, is there's lots of options now. I mean, there's like companies like Wild Health is an example who, you know, you can see virtually from literally anywhere from like rural Alaska, you could see a provider, which is really, really amazing because at any other time in history, that didn't exist, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, there are, There is an ability to get care. You just have to like have that voice for yourself. Yeah. It's almost like once you start opening the door, you kind
1: of attract it for yourself as well.
2: Trusting. Yeah. And, you know, the thing about finding like a good primary doc that's going to kind of help quarterback for you is they're going to know other good people. So, like, if you find a good primary care that's precision medicine or functional medicine, you know, maybe they're not the expert in what you have going on, but they probably know quite a bit about where to send yeah. you next or what road to go down. So, just kind of finding mm-hmm. that like main captain of your team is, yeah. I think, really, yeah. really helpful.
1: A little QB action.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> well, we've dropped a lot of seeds about your course and about your services and newsletters. So, if you don't care, will you tell everyone where they can find you? And totally. Learn more?
2: Totally. So, uh, my website is the doctor Aaron.com and pretty much has everything on it. Um, I do have an online course I've created basically because one, I don't see patients in every state and it breaks my heart every time if I can't see someone, um, and I want to be able to help them provide care. And also the probably more, well, the second reason is that when I was diagnosed with lupus, I couldn't have afforded most functional medicine services. Um, mm. and they're not reimbursed by insurance. so I wanted to provide a an affordable option for people to get started with. Um, and then probably the most important reason I created it is that I feel like I say such similar things to people like eighty percent of the time that I'm like, it feels like Groundhog day and like I don't mind doing it, but it just feels like people shouldn't have to pay that much for it when they can like, yeah. you know if they have the wherewithal to go through it themselves and like, the courage, they should be able to have access to it for a more affordable cost than like an hourly yeah. rate of a doctor. Um, because yeah. so much of it is just what boils down to like your daily habits. And I think people probably would do better having their own time and space to kind of like go through that and learn that about themselves. Right. So I just wanted to get it all together in one place. So it's basically just like a cheat sheet for what I did to fix my autoimmune disorder. Yeah. And what I've like honed through the years of like working with thousands of people um, of what's worked for people. And it's not like all my medical jargon. It's mostly just like sitting down and hopefully feeling like talking with a friend about what's what's helped yeah. them.
1: Yeah. Oh, so. well, I love you. Thank you for being here. Yeah. And yeah. I'm
2: so excited same same this was super fun and the newsletter is just like joining you can on on my um website you can join my email list and i do send send basically my my thoughts uh every wednesday
1: so all right thanks
2: everybody